many of you, you may or may not know, Courtney Brady is Brad and Katie Brady's daughter. She grew up in the church here, and she's out here from New York and agreed to lead worship for us this morning. So would you thank her? It fills my heart to see somebody I taught to sing. Uh, We're basically twins, you know, so... Uh, let me, let me ask something. Where's my resolution crowd? How many of you make resolutions on an annual basis? Nobody. All right. All right. (laughs) Like nobody. Okay. There's, there's a couple. There's a couple. Well, the thing I enjoy more than even making resolutions are watching people who have scrapped their resolutions because it just didn't go well. And so I, I found these, these are some of my favorites. I saw this this week, and this will get us into actually uh, into the book of Mark this morning. But here's one. My resolution January 1st was to lose 10 pounds. As of today, I've got 20 more to go. <laughs> I promise to stop honking at people while driving, so now I clap instead. If you see me applauding you, it means you messed up. Uh, This is a teacher. I asked the kids I teach to write down what their resolutions were, and one kid, thinking way ahead, wrote retirement. Um, Two more. My resolution was to make better decisions. Four days later, I got stuck in a baby swing and had to call the fire department to get me out. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of tempting when you go by the playground. No? All right. Finally, my resolution was to read more, so I put the subtitles on my TV when I watch it. (laughs) Uh, Well, whether you make resolutions or not, there's something you got to know. That if you have given and trusted Jesus Christ with your life, if you put your faith in him, you may or may not realize you have some resolutions already made for you. And what I mean by that, I'm really getting at that root word, resolve. Because at the heart of a resolution is really a heart that says, I resolve. I resolve to take a certain path when, when, you know, just in life in general. And I I bring all this up because we're we're diving back into the book of Mark this morning. We're in the home stretch, just so you know. I know we've been at this since last January with a few extended breaks, okay? But... We're jumping back into Mark chapter 10, and up to this point, maybe you've noticed with me, but the disciples who are following Jesus, they have this thing that just keeps coming up and coming up and coming up, and Jesus begins to really point it out when you get into Mark chapter 8 and 9 and the beginning of 10. They've got this thing in them that says, what about me? What about me? What about me? And every single one of us has that what about me going on. And Jesus, what he's trying to get them to is that peace has been resolved. It's been resolved. In fact, two of the big, big, big themes in the book of Mark are that Jesus came as servant and Jesus came and suffered. And he came and he served us in what he did at the cross and with his life and and with the Holy Spirit, but he also suffered in order for that to happen. And so if you're to put all this together, it means that no matter what you go through in life, if you've trusted your life to him, And you know what? It's been resolved. It has absolutely been resolved. Now, we get to Mark chapter 10, and after teaching, and after teaching, and after teaching the disciples, Jesus, I love where we're going this morning. We're in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. And what happens is that Jesus is now going to make an example. And and they come across this man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind, and he's begging on the side of the road. 
And Jesus is going to use blind Bartimaeus to show them what a life that is resolved toward faith, or faith that informs a life's resolve, what that looks like. And as you're going to discover, this blind man, this blind man without his eyesight, can see Jesus more clearly than so many of the people around him him who had eyesight. And specifically because for this man, Bartimaeus, there were five issues that I believe he, he faced. There's five that you and I faced. There's probably multitudes more in here if we were to really dissect it. But five issues that I counted in this passage that are just resolved for us. If you've trusted Jesus, five issues are resolved. And I, some of you, you may need that reminder. I know for me, this passage was like a mirror to me. Because as I read it, I just went, oh my goodness, I forget so often. And so often I, I wonder what the choice is. And, and then when I look at this, I go, it's already been resolved. Th- th- there's a resolution that comes out of this already. And so let's dive in. I want to walk through those five um, issues. And if you grab sermon notes, it, it'll, you can follow along on there as well. But the first one comes up pretty quickly. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 and 47. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving, by the way, this passage I call the and passage because Mark just keeps saying and. It's like, stop, Mark, just choose a different word to start a sentence. But every sentence, and, okay. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this really brings up the first issue for us. That first issue is kind of a duh for many of us. It's encountering Jesus. And what I mean by encountering Jesus, the thing that the issue that's resolved is that it's a life of crying out versus I've tried it out. See, a lot of times in our, in our Christian circles, you know what I think happens? Is we get down the road and we think, ah, I, I've seen everything. I've been there. I've done that. I prayed about this already. It didn't work. It didn't pan out the way I wanted. And we begin making these assumptions inside that it's already just going to go the exact same way that it went before. And, and so there's this thing in us that we can get so familiar with it. This was actually the heart behind, behind what we did on Christmas. That rather than gather here on a Sunday, it was to go off into our regular surroundings and encounter God there. Because did you notice where Bartimaeus is encountering Jesus here? This wasn't in a building. This was on the side of a road. This was begging. This was complete dependence on him. And and see, Bartimaeus, the thing, well, maybe where he pulls ahead of the disciples and he pulls ahead of a lot of us, is I love the term that another translation says. It says he recognized it was Jesus. See, for many of us, the issue is we can recognize him in here, but when we leave here, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we're with our neighbors, you know, when, when, when it's at practice, do we recognize him in the middle of those surroundings? <clears throat> this, this week was a very poignant reminder and I'm sure by now you've heard the name Damar Hamlin. Buffalo Bills player, they were playing the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football. Damar Hamlin tackled this receiver, T. Higgins. It didn't look all that hard, but when he got up, he instantly collapsed. He had gone into cardiac arrest. 
And did you notice what happened across society? Suddenly, prayer was everywhere. I mean, I know the last few years, we've heard a lot about thoughts and prayers, haven't we? And I can concur with some of it. Thoughts and prayers need to lead us to action. But the truth is, when, human- when we as humanity, when we get desperate, you know what is just wired into us? To cry out. See, the Christian life, to have trusted Jesus, is a life of crying out. No matter where you're at, and, and the other issue we run into is a lot of times we think this is, a, this is like a beginning stages thing, Right? We think, oh, no, 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 that's just at the beginning of my walk with Jesus. I ask for mercy. No, it doesn't stop. We always cry out for mercy. And you saw what happened with it this week. I mean, there's prayer on everybody's lips. If you've been following the updates, Damar Hamlin, they believe he's fully neurologically intact. He addressed his team the other day. He posted on Instagram the other day. They've put him on injured reserves. He's t- on injured reserve. He's talking about coming back and playing sometime. Obviously, that's for him and the doctors to figure out. But the thing that struck me most maybe this week was about midweek, ESPN had NFL Today on, and there were three anchors on there. One of them was an ex-NFL quarterback, Dan Orlovsky. He said, you know, we talk about prayer, and we talk about how we believe in prayer. And he said, I don't even know, he said on air, I don't even know if this is allowed, at which point I was like, they're going to cut it. They're just going to cut the feed here. I don't even know if this is allowed, but I'd invite you to pray with me. And right there, in front of a national television audience, leading his co-anchors, he prayed. That is the life that that has just been completely resolved by faith in Christ. This is what we do. When we encounter Jesus, it is a crying out. That's issue number one. Issue number two, it comes up pretty quickly as we go through the passage here. Excuse me. Verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Remember, we've been talking about the crowd as we go through Mark. You know, it's interesting because it's, it's just Jesus at the beginning of Mark. But as time goes on and time goes on and time goes on, this crowd just keeps growing and growing and they hear the teaching and they see the miracles and they just keep growing and they want to know what can this Savior do for them. And as they listen to his teaching, they start to get an expectation and an image of what he's going to do as he moves forward. And this crowd is swelling. And now as we get into the later chapters of Mark, it's interesting because the crowd is starting to shift a little bit. And that includes, for Bartimaeus, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And then look, this is the next issue that Bartimaeus just, he was resolved on. And for you and I, let me read it and then I'll tell you what it is. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You want to know what that second issue is that we come up against? Every single one of us comes up against? There's encountering Jesus, but then there's the crowd. And the issue that faith resolves is that you're just going to disappoint the crowd versus appease them. It's just going to happen. That doesn't mean like everybody all the time, but it's, it's a very real thing. I just read the other day that uh, Britain, Britain, just based on surveys, put whatever you want into surveys out there, but they believe that Britain is now for the first time a minority Christian nation in centuries, in centuries. And I read that, and I, you know, it's easy to become alarmed over that until you remember the entire, excuse me, 
the entire context of the Bible, it's really God's word to a minority of people. A remnant is what we read over and over and over in Scripture. And God is still leading, and God is still sustaining, and God is still providing for that human need. But the issue every single one of us comes up against is when it comes to the crowd, are we going to disappoint them or are we going to appease them? And what I found very helpful, it was very easy for me when we worked with teenagers to be like, oh, listen, you're in junior high right now or you're in high school right now. In four years, this is all going to be over and these people won't matter to you. That's easy to say when you're down the road, isn't it? Yeah, most of them just rolled their eyes at me and they were like, yeah, whatever, you don't understand. Because my heart was really, I wanted to go walk down the hall next to them. But that's creepy and you get arrested for that kind of thing. So, but it helps to remember that, number one, the measure of the crowd in the eyes of God. So you want to know what Bartimaeus understood? Bartimaeus understood that he may have been the only one crying out, but he was not outnumbered. And he was not the underdog because God has a vote. It means if you're the only one in the room moving forward in faith, you are not the underdog. You are not outnumbered. I mean, that's the whole thing with David and Goliath, right? We've all heard that story. But because of his faith, David was not the underdog in that fight, was he? Goliath was. This is the case with the crowd. The other thing about the crowd you got to remember is not just the measure of the crowd in God's eyes, but the influence of the crowd. No, I'm not in high school anymore, but youth, the, the thing I could tell you is that you walk every single day in the midst of really, really loud volume from a crowd that they are thinking in the moment. And they are thinking what's going to satisfy in the moment. And there is going to come a day where they're not going to be there. And they do not care about your soul as much as your Heavenly Father. And that's something every single one of us has to remember. Because culture and the crowd has gotten really loud the last few years, hasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there there are places I've I've been seeing even on social media where Christian posts are being taken down. Bible verses are being removed because it's considered hate speech. This is the crowd. This is the dynamics of it. And finally, the influence on the crowd. You've got to remember that, yes, in Scripture you see God draw a crowd, but you know how he does it? Very, very often, one at a time. One at a time. When you can stop and recognize, I'm not dealing with a crowd, I'm dealing with a heart right in front of me, it might be one person at a time, then the crowd begins to gain perspective. But that's easy to forget. I read about a news story in Turkey from 2005. There were some shepherds that were actually eating at a restaurant near their field, and suddenly they saw a sheep go off a cliff. A sheep jumped off a cliff. As everybody's looking around wondering what happens, by the time it was all said and done, 1,500 sheep followed the first sheep over the cliff. Now, this is maybe morbid and kind of terrible, but they said in all in all, 450 sheep died. And I was like, wait, but 1,500 went over the cliff. But you can imagine not all of them had a, a hard, hard landing because it was just, and I know that's just super sad and morbid and just... <laughs> If you come out of here, please don't quote that, okay? But it's just, uh, it's just the reality of what happened. But that's the crowd dynamics. It absolutely is. Issue number three, as we continue through the passage. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped. So Bartimaeus has cried out a couple times now. 
He might have thought Jesus didn't hear him. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. Now, what makes this so incredible and such amazing grace to me is that if you know where we're at in the timeline of what Jesus is up to, where is he headed right now? He's headed to the cross. He's entering into that final kind of home stretch of what would be his physical life here on earth. He knows what he's to do. He's already told him three times that the, that the Son of Man must die. And he's on this mission, and yet here he hears the cry, have mercy on me, and he stops. He doesn't say, I don't have time. He doesn't say, I've got more important things to do, like redeeming all of humanity. No, he stops, and he says, call him to his disciples. The equally incredible thing is this is the first time by my count that the disciples did something without arguing about it. I mean, over and over. It's like, what would happen, guys, if you just did what he said? Easy for me to say, right? Because we live on this side of it. But over and over, I'm yelling at the disciples, what if you just did what he said without putting up a fight? They tried it. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up. He's calling you. He's calling you. And now we're going to get into this next issue that every single one of us deals with. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Did you catch what happened there? See, a cloak, a cloak for Bartimaeus would have been everything. I mean, if he truly had a life of begging, then his cloak was everything, wasn't it? Have you walked by somebody who literally lives on the streets? What do they have? They have a coat. Oftentimes, it's just a coat. And this was all he had. And so in a very real way, it could very well have symbolized or literally have been all that he had. And what does it say? Throwing off his cloak. See, this, this next issue that we all deal with is our old way of life, our old ways of living. And we have a choice. It's repenting from or remaining in. That's the issue faith resolves. And I know repentance is like one of those scary words, right? I mean, you grow up and and you picture like a street preacher just screaming repent at you. But when you look at repentance across scripture, it is the the life-giving thing. It is the life-giving act that Christians, we never stop carrying out. And the truth is we all have some cloaks we wear around. Right? we got the cloak of self-righteousness. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm good in God's eyes because of my church attendance and, and the good deeds that I carry out, and at least I didn't do that. Right? We can get really self-righteous. We've got our arbitrary definitions. But the other cloak is our flesh. It's just what comes natural to us. Paul goes into it and talks about it. And what I love about it is that Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans— It's believed that he was two decades plus down the road from that powerful conversion that he had. And you know what you find him writing in the middle of Romans? Is all the stuff I want to do, I'm paraphrasing right now, he says it way better, okay? All that stuff that I know I should do, I don't do. And all the stuff I know I shouldn't do, I still do. He said, look, it is just constantly a battle with sin. And so what does God give us? He gives us repentance. We're invited to throw off that, clo- that cloak over and over and over. A couple more issues. 
Verse 51, having jumped to his feet, Bartimaeus is met with a question. Verse 51, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? You ever thought about that question? What do you want Jesus to do for you? And I know we get it, like it, it, the lottery, right? We all, we all think of the lottery, you know, we all think of you know, that special someone, we all think of well, whatever it is. But he says, what do you want? And when you begin to look at the Greek piece of it is what is you, what, excuse me, what do you desire me to do for you? What does he say? Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. You know what that tells us? There was a time Bartimaeus could see. He could physically, literally see. Rabbi, I want to recover my sight. See, the next issue we got to contend with as, as those who put our faith in Christ is our desires. Our desires. And here's the issue, actually, because this is really hard. This has been a, a battle for me as well, is the idea that if he doesn't answer my request for my desire— then he must not be listening. And that's exactly where we, I mean, I, I listen to people, and that's where we go immediately. Could I ask you uh, to consider something different? What if the, the question about our desires is an invitation to a conversation? See, when it comes to our desires, you know what the issue is? It's conversing versus commanding or trying to control. But a lot of times what we do is we run to God and we say, I want this, and I want this, and we, we've got a list. You know what he wants? He wants a relationship. If he's the author of our desires, and I, I get it. Our desires, you just got to look at the world around us. They've all been distorted. That's just the sin and the fallenness and the brokenness of the world that we live in and, and within ourselves. But what if when God asks, what do you want me to do for you? He's really striking up a conversation to say, let's talk about that. Maybe he's going to unearth something about the way he's made us, the way he's wired us. I'll never forget when I was younger, my parents, they would from time to time take us, you know, um, just to, to like a, the store and we'd get in front of the candy aisle. And you know what they'd say? Pick something. Pick something. Now, how many of you are like me? You get in front of that, all that selection, and it's, it's actually more, more of a crisis than a gift, right? Because I got to pick the right thing. I want to pick the right thing. And how many times you grab what you think you want and then you leave and it's like, ah, I want that other thing. I want you to think about this from a parent point of view or your heavenly father's point of view. If that's you and you've got a child and you've said pick something because you want to give them something, do you care what they pick? I mean, honestly, do you care what they pick? Okay, some of you do. Okay, all right. <laughs> No, I mean, most of us would go, no, you, what's the point of the activity? It's to get to spend time with them and to get to do something for them. And see, a lot of times we look at our desires and we think, oh, I got to pick the right one or no, that's not right to have. And God says, no, I just, I want to have a relationship with you. And I put the desires in your heart. So come to me. Come talk to me about them. That's what he says. Finally. Issue number five. And this, this might be my favorite of the issues because of what happens. Listen to this. <clears throat> and Jesus said to him, go your way. 
You know what that statement is? Bartimaeus, you're free. Bartimaeus, you're no longer bound to a life of begging. Bartimaeus, you're no longer bound to not being able to see. Bartimaeus, you can get up and you can move forward. So go your way. You're free. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And I love this next part. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Did you catch what happened there? Bartimaeus has all the freedom in the world now. Jesus says, go your way. And what does Bartimaeus do? He says, Jesus, I want to go your way. And see, that's the issue. That's the issue that if you've trusted in Christ, his been, faith has resolved for you. The way forward. It's his, it's his road. It's his way or ours. It's his way versus ours. You see, that's, that's, that's not really natural to us, is it? I mean, none of these are really all that. They don't come naturally to us. But faith informs and resolves every single one of these. You know what that means? It means you don't have to get up every single day and fret over what to do when these issues come up. And Jesus used a blind man begging on the side of the road. That's amazing grace right there, right? Didn't come from the teachers. Didn't come from the Pharisees. It didn't come from the scribes. It didn't even come from the disciples. Jesus said, that blind one on the side of the road, I'm going to use him. And now he looks at you and me, and he says, look, you who were once blind, or you may feel like you're blind, I can use you. Because faith, your trust in Jesus, resolves each of these issues. And I know it doesn't feel good, because you know what we want? We, we get up and we make resolutions based on, like, smooth sailing. And Jesus goes, no, it's not going to be smooth sailing, but it's going to be an abundant life. That's what you're going to get out of all this. See, faith in Jesus is always resolved in the direction of resurrection. In fact, as we turn the page, Bartimaeus says he followed him along the road. You turn the page, and, and if, you've, if you're familiar with Mark 11 through 16, you realize, oh man, he's like turning. Jesus is turning a corner, and he's heading for the cross. Wow, hey, welcome to following Jesus, Bartimaeus, right? And yet, I bet he didn't mind one bit because he knows what this Savior did for him. And so as we move forward, you got to know that. Faith has resolved some issues for you that are going to move you, not just toward a resolution for you to feel better about yourself, but to move you toward resurrection. See, that's where this road leads. But you know what it is? It's a road less traveled. In fact, these coming couple months, or these coming few months, here's what I'd invite you to do with all this. I mean, I want you to go home. I want you to read this passage. I want you to think through these issues, how they, they show up in your life. But I'd love for you to join us in Mark 11 through 16. Because you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a road less traveled. There's a reason Jesus calls it the narrow path. Because when you look through what he and the disciples walk through in those chapters— you realize nobody can walk through this if they do not have the strength of a higher power with them. But it's a road that's going to take them through some things that, old, that, that look like they end at the cross. And then the giant, I'll just give it away for you in case you've never heard, there's a resurrection at the end of all of it. And we're going to land there on Easter, surprise, right? Uh, we're going to land there on Easter. And I know, 
I know we've been at Mark for a, a while, but there is something that when you go through the word and you keep at it and you keep at it, you know what happens? God resolves you. Faith resolves you in the direction of resurrection. And yes, it's a one day and a someday thing, but he also said no, but it's resurrection life and it's abundant life now. And so as the worship team comes back up, I'd invite you. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. Take a look this week and we'll look for you next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, your grace is truly amazing beyond our words, amazing beyond our insights, amazing beyond our highest thoughts. And that you, in the middle of all the teaching of your disciples, would turn and say, I can use the heart of a blind beggar on the side of a road. Lord, open our eyes to that. Thank you for the account of Bartimaeus. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a God who you gave us faith that actually operates. It's not this thing we talk about on Sundays, but it actually resolves how we're to live when we encounter you, how we live in the midst of a crowd, how we live when old ways want to crop back up in our lives, how we live as we hold our desires in our hearts, and how we live going forward. And so as we look at 2023, Lord, let faith resolve, our faith in Christ resolve these issues and so many more as they come up. And Lord, open our eyes to you, not just on Sunday, but as we walk out of here into the week and all the places we go ahead. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.